Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Woody Allen Adjacent, part of the Woody Allen Retrospective Podcast. I am your host, Donald Wonder, and my co-host with the most is back again. Looking great, actually. I'm looking at him. You can't hear it in the woods here, but I'm looking at him right now. He's very relaxed in this holiday season. James Daniel Walsh, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Happy holidays to you. Happy to receive your wishes. And a happy holidays to everyone else. Last year, this time, we had that discussion for when Harry met Sally. And if you listened on the last recording where I did not with you, actually, I spoke about a very kind of semi-convoluted thing I'm going to start doing now where we find a way to talk about really well-known, critically acclaimed films, but at the same time, we're trying to hit that intersection where they're Woody Allen films and they're not so popular. And I did that with the help of AI. And before we talk about the movie we're going to talk about, just want to say thank you to all the patrons. Thank you for the support. All the links are in the description. We've got a link tree link to everything. But more than anything... This month, I'm going to say, engage with the podcast by leaving a comment. That's all I'm going to ask for this time. Leave a comment. Let us know what you think of past discussions, future discussions, any kind of recommendations. We would really, 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 really appreciate it. And with that said, James, you spun the wheel last month. You got a 10. You got this movie. You said you'd never heard of it. So now we've both watched it. James, please introduce what it is we're going to be talking about. Today. Today we will be talking about the 1978 film California Suite, directed by Herbert Ross and written by Neil Simon. Yep, well done, and it's been a long time, but this time I'm actually going to play the trailer. So let's take a listen. If I'm going to turn my daughter over to you, at least I want to know what you're like. I'm here one night without Millie. Don't get me into trouble. We'll be landing in Los Angeles in five minutes, Miss Barry. I hope you win the Oscar. Hi, buddy. What you doing? Just sitting here watching the toilet flush. Happy birthday from your brother, Harry. She's not happy in New York, Hannah. Nobody's happy in New York, but they're alive. How many gin and tonics have you had? You drank an entire bottle of tequila with my wife coming in? Never threaten a man who spent two years working the drunk ward. Now back off. How the hell can you be so flippant when it comes to your own daughter's well-being? When you can't have what you want, you make certain that everyone else around is equally as miserable. Panic is the quickest way to divorce. Don't panic. She'll abide by whatever decision we both make. Tell me that you enjoyed being with us on our vacation. Best time of the We keep up a front for everyone else. Why can't we do it for ourselves? You're worse than a hopeless romantic. You're a hopeful one. So, from the list that I've generated with the help of AI, we've got this movie that I never heard of myself, but when I saw the cast and the uh, playwright, I was very excited, very, very excited. And I've got a clip to play for those of you who don't know about the playwright, that um, this is based on a play by Neil Simon. And for those of you who don't know about Neil Simon, I'll play a clip about him later. But for now, I'm going to come back to James and... How do you feel, James? How was this whole thing for you? It still has a great cast, uh, witty dialogue, and I was so bored. So <laughs> bored during this movie. This is maybe, of all the movies we've ever talked about, the one where I can most clearly picture if Woody did it and how much better it would have been. The problem I've got with this movie, which is kind of an anthology film, Two things. One, like I said, witty dialogue. 
but everybody talks pretty much the same. Everybody's got this sparkling wit to them. It's left entirely up to the actors to give us, to, to make these characters individuals because the writing doesn't do it. The writing just makes them all socialites with sparkling wits. And the other thing too is, is there's no cohesion to to what what brings the anthology together except is it even set in the same hotel i couldn't tell if it was the same hotel or not i think we just have to assume that would be the case because that would make the whole naming of yeah. the film a bit silly yeah because otherwise the the four different stories they don't there's no common theme through them no it's very disjointed the movies the, the stories don't even like there's some in the begin, in the very beginning and at the very end, there's some sort of like cutting back and forth between the stories. But mostly, a story plays out, another story starts. Um, that story plays out, the next story starts. And there's nothing that even. I thought if only like at the end of Jane Fonda's uh, bit, she gets on an elevator to go downstairs. Now she's going downstairs. Walter Matthau gets on. Exactly. You know. Yeah, something that that made it so that we were brought into the next story without just like, oh, well, we're here now, we're done with this, we're going over here now. Do you know what's funny? Because I would criticize that point, but when you look at the set of this movie, it actually feels like part of it was shot in a hotel. There's parts where they are going in and out through the bottom floor into the street. And there's a lot of movies you'll watch that are based on plays where you're just like, okay, this is definitely a play because they're in this one location, the same location. And again, you know, they could have used some kind of trickery to show that, yeah, they were using set rooms and overall, they just give you the illusion it's a hotel. But as you so rightly said, there's no lingering interchange at all to even give you the illusion they're in the same place. So therefore, I completely agree with you. It's actually... Why didn't they draw those connective tissues? But I got more complaints than you about this because James, I, I kind of hated half of this movie because <laughs> let me tell you something. I saw I saw something in this movie, James. I never thought I would see. Hello, and that is Richard Pryor getting the shit beaten out of him by Bill Cosby. Yeah. <laughs> now, first of all, when I when I heard them two, Bill Cosby, Richard Pryor, on the list itself, I was I felt. What? Like, these two did a movie together? First of all, when I, you know, Richard Pryor, he got to a point in his career where he just, you know, he's, uh, this is going to be kind of a harsh comparison, but he's kind of like Eddie Murphy now. They had their raunchy times, and then they had their phone the in times. And wow. to me, for these two comedians, I know they're very different type of comedians, but they were the dullest part of the movie for me. I was shocked. And a lot of players, the the, the Characters they're playing are, as you said, socialized. Even Bill, Bill Cosby's playing a version of what he is in the Cosby Show, a doctor. Because in the Cosby Show, I think he he's a doctor anyway. So him yeah. not him playing a doctor is fine, and he always plays a a straight laced black man. I'm not going to touch on the reality of that. <laughs> well, but, and yeah. you know the thing about him in this movie is he's playing this sort of abusive asshole, and I just can't picture Bill Cosby as uh, anything other than a sweet, lovely man. So. <laughs> I didn't think you'd do it, James. You know what, man? It's, it's the two... I, I, I kind of... 
part of me respects the appeal of having these two black comedians playing it straight and playing straight respectable people but yep. this was the wrong movie to make that cool this is based on a play and i i don't think there's anything in it that really indicates uh, there's not even a mention of their race so really it could have been played by anybody uh didn't have to be black actors and True. they decided all right no we're going to get bill cosby and richard pryor which again they didn't play to their strengths yes especially richard pryor yeah so in fact yeah, i agree they were the dullest part of the movie i think if you swap them so there's um alan older um uh give me the whole cast and then we'll because there's they're set into yeah. is it four sets of couples Yes, uh, I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. It says uh, the main cast: Alan Alda, Michael Caine, Bill Cosby, Jane Fonda, Walter Matthau, Elaine May, Richard Pryor, Maggie Smith, who won an Oscar for this for some reason. Yeah, that's the those are the big ones. Maggie Smith and Michael Caine, and Alan Alda, and Jane Fonda. Those two were the strongest parts for me. And but as you said, because the script is written by one person who may be a weakness of um, his writing, it doesn't feel like they're different characters. All the witty dialogue is, as you identify, I didn't even acknowledge that until you're right. They didn't feel that individual. But even saying that, those two couples, Michael Caine and Alan Alder, I really enjoyed their performances. I think they're the strongest part of the movie. And as for Bill Cosby and, is it? Walt, Walter Mather. Walt, yeah. Walter Mather. I think they should have swapped. I think it would have been better with the prostitute with seeing Richard Fire play that part. It's very, you know, physical and slapstick. So you don't think it should have been Bill Cosby with a passed out woman in his bed? You know, I know what you're doing, James. I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not I'm not taking the bait, James. I'm not taking the bait. Let's put our minds that this was the Bill Cosby that he pretended to be for the all those decades, the smart, straight laced, do no wrong. The OJ type, <laughs> the OJ type, that man. Bill Cosby doing that role with the prostitute wouldn't have worked. It might have worked even better, just because you, it would have been a break from his. The person he portrays himself to be would have been refreshing, if he did mm. that role in the guise of now. I think there would have been a lot of articles. Hey, you see, you see, you see, kind of the same shit they tried to do to Woody Allen, by the way. But yeah. um, try not to draw that comparison too tough, but. Going back to the first thing you said, James, this is a perfect adjacent pick because just like you, I can completely agree. Woody Allen would have done so much with this, especially, yep. especially the part with, uh, is it Maggie Smith or Michael Caine? Because yep. there's this whole thing of her being Oscar nominated. So there's a, a cinema film side to it, which I felt like could have been a film on its own, especially what Michael Caine was going through. And I have to give him props for what he's going through socially at the time. Good for Michael Caine. Yeah. It was quick to see him diversify and do that role, which is really cool. This cast could have included Diane Keaton. It could have included, you know, I could definitely see Woody playing either the Alan Alda character or maybe even the Richard Pryor character. Agreed, 100%. Yeah. Woody would have made this work either by keeping the story separate, but I think he would have had some sort of a thematic link to them. Is it? Like in um, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex. Yep. Everybody says, I love you, to run yeah. with love. When he has those ensemble cast, he makes them connect. 
one way or another. And this didn't, it would, it would have been so, there's a scene where, um, uh, Michael Caine and Maggie Smith go down to the hotel bar. You could have easily had Alan Alda and Jane Fonda sitting at a table, you know, in the background or, you know, uh, Bill Cosby and his wife or whoever, like just something to where we see that this is all taking place in the same world. And there's nothing to these stories are all completely separate short stories. And like you said, I think that the, I agree. The Alan Alda and the Jane Fonda one is the strongest. I didn't really care for the other three at all. I mean, they just seem like half thought out short stories that were, you know, I mean, and they, the movie didn't even get much out of me in the way of laughter. I chuckled a few times, but, uh, I really didn't think it was that funny. I thought that the Michael Caine, Maggie Smith one was mostly pretty dark and, uh, <laughs> and that's what I found the funniest because they were sniping at each other for the whole movie and I loved it with that British humor, that British British sniping uh -huh. <laughs> and I loved it. And I actually, I thought I found the Walter Matthau section kind of obnoxious until his wife shows up and Elaine May actually perks that story up a bit, but Walter Matthau's not even, Walter Matthau's a good actor and he was not particularly good in that. No, he wasn't. And it went on too long. That I I yeah. really felt like that went on twice as long as you should have. The gag of the the unconscious person, even at that time, I'm telling you, even at that time in the Hollywood cinema film, it had been overdone, and it just wasn't funny. I found him very annoying, to be honest with you, and I didn't feel sorry for him when his wife confronted him about that. As you said, with Elaine May, she did a really great job, a lot better. But honestly, if any of the four segments had to be cut, I would probably cut. I feel like I feel a bit triggered about something because I would say I would cut their part because the prostitution thing was weak. But here's yeah. the thing. The Bill Cosby and the Richard Pryor thing is not funny. But boy, do they try to make it funny with the slapstick violence. There's a scene near the end of the movie where they are just running into the walls, smashing, slipping. It's like Tom and Jerry times 10. Yeah. And I'm like, this is stupid. It is not funny. You know, it was funny when Richard Pryor was angry and was complaining about his shitty room, which made no sense, yeah. by the way. Made no sense they would even go in that room for whatever reason. But no. the fight they have at the end is not funny at all. Well, it would have. There was a one simple way to fix that too, which is they don't go to Bill Cosby's room; they go to Richard Pryor's room, because they're bumping off of everything in Bill Cosby's room. He's got the big suite. If you want everybody knocking around and everything, you put them in the smaller space of Richard Pryor's room, because it doesn't. You're right; it doesn't make any sense why they're injuring themselves over and over and over again. And by the way. But no black woman is going to sit there, two of them, by the way, and deal with this foolishness. It was like an episode of The Family Guy. No, it was so bad. And here's the thing, James. Why isn't there means of Richard Pryor fighting Bill Cosby? Because for, <laughs> for that alone, I thought I would have seen a picture of Bill Cosby getting him by the neck. Because by the end, he's got him in the head, Loki, screaming, say you love this journey, say you love this trip. Uh, and I'm like, how come I haven't even seen this picture before? 
you know, or even heard about it through Parlay. It's actually, I think that's probably the most surprising thing I never heard about this. And I know I'm just going off on the tangent when that's really, it's so weak. Those two, the prostitution and the two families, for, it is so weak. If you cut this, these, these two stories out of the movie, it's essentially a better movie because the drama between Alda and his ex-wife about their daughter, it's very much something you'll see in a Woody Allen drama. You know, yes. just that discussion about why and back and forth. And, you know, Alan Alda, as we know, Woody Allen royalty. You know, he's been yep. in so much. And uh, we, oh yeah, there's so much connections, by the way, between the cast and Woody Allen. It's absolutely crazy. But, again, if you just... This this movie, I know it's based on the play. You can't really cut, but Woody would have made this stronger. And uh-huh. um, I'm glad that we're going to hear an explanation as to why this movie was recommended to us, which is pretty interesting. But I don't really want to harp on the movie as much because in, in some ways I was pleasantly surprised that the movie does exist. But I want to say, I want to kind of transition to say Neil Simon is someone I've heard of again and again and again. And for some reason, and I know this is sacrilege to some people, I've never really paid attention. You suggest some of the things you always, always hear. Like when you watch the end of The Simpsons and you see Mel Brooks, but you don't actually look him up or you don't know. He's one of the most successful playwrights in history, period, yep. which I had no idea. So it honestly would be uh, injustice if I don't play this clip because recently his work was inducted in the uh, American Congress and the YouTube channel of American Congress of, um, I think it's of writing or playwriting. They, did a, they made a big deal about it. And I just want to play a little clip just for those who don't know what Neil Simon has done. This is kind of a short overview of it. And honestly, I, I was shocked. So have a listen. Hello, I'm Mark Horowitz, a performing arts specialist at the Library of Congress. I'm thrilled to announce that the library has just acquired the Neil Simon collection, the papers of the most commercially successful American playwright ever. And not just a playwright, but a screenwriter, a television writer, and a librettist for musicals. The numbers are staggering. 28 plays on Broadway, five musicals, 11 original screenplays, and 14 film adaptations of his own stage works. Among his classic works are Barefoot in the Park, The Odd Couple, Sweet Charity, Plaza Suite, The Sunshine Boys, The Goodbye Girl, Brighton Beach Memoirs, and his Pulitzer Prize winning Lost in Yonkers. What's in the collection? Everything we hoped for and more. Of course, the most important thing are the scripts. So far in the collection, we have identified over 180 titles. Of the unknown titles, some are represented by one or more complete drafts, others by only a scene or two. Some of these are early titles for shows that will become well-known under later titles, but the vast majority are not. And so many are intriguing based on their titles alone. Neil Simon was born on July 4th, 1927. He passed away on August 28th, 2018. A long life, 91. I believe he had three wives. Um, Just looking at his um, screenwriting uh, filmography is just amazing. I mean, the odd couple. Just that alone, I was like, wow. But to drive that connection directly to Woody Allen, one of his most loved plays, The Sunshine Boys, there's two yep. theatrical releases. I believe the first one wasn't the Woody Allen one. It was the second one he did with Colombo. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, me and Simon's when really spoke about, 
really great script, really funny movie. And, you know, I, I'm looking at his catalog and I'm just like, wow, a lot of these movies I haven't seen. I'm looking forward to seeing. And um, enough respect to him for this. And boy, this movie, this script, well, this play was just one in almost a hundred of other successful plays he had. And I had, you know, just... Guys, forgive me for being so um, unrefined, not to under not to understand how much of a master he is. But yeah, I was just blown away and taken aback to see that. And um, yeah, he's been very well celebrated and uh, very. You know, I just have to give my hands up to him because a lot of works. I think one or two of his future adaptations we'll be speaking about. And Woody Allen's a big fan of his work. That's why he worked on this play. The director of this play, I think his name is Robert Ruffs. Thank you. He directed Woody Allen's first play, which was one of my favorite movies. Late Against Sam. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, the connections to Woody are tight. This is going to be one of our shorter discussions because I can, and I'm going to play what the AI has to say about why I recommend it to us, by the way. I can see connections. I can see Woody elevating this a lot. I think the casts are really good, but some of them were miscast. I actually think, I think that's what you were kind of getting at. I think half of this cast were miscast. Yeah, I would agree with that. But you also said the writing just feels like one voice for every character, which, yeah, I think some playwrights might have that issue. Uh, Neil Simon, I think it's just easier for us to identify the constant smart wit for everybody and it just doesn't fit for some. I would argue that um, Richard Pryor and Bill Cosby didn't really have that wit for themselves though. They just was going at it and it wasn't it wasn't that interesting. Very surprising. They were in a movie together. Still, I'm shocked. You're right. You could have had Richard Pryor in the Walter Matthau part. And you could have had Walter Matthau teamed up with Bill Cosby. It didn't have to be two black couples. Like you could have dispersed them throughout the movie a little bit more. I mean, I'm sure at the time they were like, Well, we've got this one part. Uh, we want to give it to black actors because we're progressive. But we just want all the black actors in this one. <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna spread them out through the other stories. So, because I mean, I think they were all pretty. Inter- you could have put Bill Cosby in the Alan Alda part. They were all the parts were fairly interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I have got one more clip, and that's just the AI explaining to us why it thought it would be a good pick for adjacent. Now, I think over time I'm going to change the voice because this sounds a little bit too robotic. But um, I think we can finally wrap this up on kind of bouncing back of what the AI thinks. The clip I'm going to play is our good old AI assistant. I might call it AI Allen. (laughs) Going to explain why it recommended this movie to us. A lot of general stuff. Now, I'm tweaking these AI because you can train it to be really good at and being analytical and stuff and you could also use a different voice so give us feedback on the voice and the thoughts the clip is three minutes but by the time you guys hear it I would have edited it down to something so James I'm going to apologize because James is going to hear the long version you listen to right now you're not going to hear the long version so here we go I recommended 1978's The California Suite because it shares several thematic and stylistic similarities with Woody Allen's films, particularly his crowd-pleasing ensemble comedies. The movie's themes. Both California Suite and Woody Allen's ensemble comedies explore the complexities of relationships, highlighting the challenges of communication, 
understanding, and resolving conflicts. The films delve into the intricacies of human interactions and the challenges of maintaining harmony in diverse relationships. The struggle for identity and self-discovery, the characters in both California Sweet and Woody Allen's films often grapple with questions of identity, self-worth, and the pursuit of happiness. They navigate the complexities of personal relationships, professional aspirations, and the quest for personal fulfillment. The illusion of romance and the reality of human nature, both films challenge the romantic notions of love and relationships, exposing the underlying conflicts, insecurities, and unrealistic expectations that often plague human connections. They acknowledge the imperfections of individuals and the challenges of maintaining genuine intimacy. The movies, style, both California Sweet and Woody Allen's films excel in their use of dialogue, employing witty banter, clever repartee, and sharp exchanges to drive the narrative and showcase the characters' personalities and comedic personasa. These exchanges add depth and nuance to the relationships and highlight the characters' social dynamics. The exploration of social and cultural issues Both films address social and cultural issues through the lens of their characters, incorporating humor and satire to comment on contemporary trends, gender roles, and societal norms. This approach adds a layer of social commentary and reflects the concerns of the time. The use of parallel narratives and intertwining stories, both California Sweet and Woody Allen's ensemble comedies, utilize parallel narratives and intertwining stories to showcase multiple perspectives and relationships within a confined setting. This structure adds complexity and depth to the narrative, allowing for a wider exploration of human interactions and the interconnectedness of lives. Possible improvements that could have been applied? While California Suite is a critically acclaimed film with strong comedic and dramatic elements, there are a few areas where Woody Allen's influence could have further enhanced the storytelling and thematic depth. Woody Allen's films often delve deeper into the inner lives of their characters, providing a more nuanced understanding of their motivations, insecurities, and personal struggles. A stronger focus on character development in California Suite could have further engaged the audience in the characters' journeys. More explicit exploration of societal critiques. Woody Allen's films often employ satire to challenge social norms and expose the hypocrisy of society. While California Suite touches on these themes, a more direct and explicit critique of social issues could have heightened its intellectual and social impact. Sharper Psychological Insights Woody Allen's films often explore the complexities of human psychology, delving into the characters' neuroses, anxieties, and emotional struggles. A more pronounced psychological dimension in California Suite could have added depth to the characters' interactions, and the underlying motivations driving their behavior. In conclusion, overall The California Suite is a sophisticated and entertaining film that resonated with audiences seeking a witty and insightful exploration of human relationships and social issues. Its thematic and stylistic similarities to Woody Allen's work further elevate its appeal, and potential improvements could have cemented its position as a classic of ensemble comedy. I hope you found this recommendation useful to your ongoing project. I'm excited to talk about the other films and their relation to Woody Allen's work in the near future. Okay, that's it. Now, before we continue, I want to get your thoughts on that first of all. 
well, apparently we don't really have to do this job anymore because <laughs> the AI can do it for us. Uh, I wasn't expecting it to like actually suggest improvements based on what Woody would have done. Um, it's right though. <laughs> I mean, the movie would have been improved with, first of all, Woody writes smart characters. Woody doesn't really write dumb characters. There's very few times where, like, even when you get a character like Chess Bob and Terry in um, Bullets Over Broadway, you think at first he's a dumb uh, gangster, and then he turns out he's a brilliant playwright. Yeah. So Woody doesn't do stupid characters. But Woody knows how to write smart characters who all sound different. Yeah. And that's what this movie needed. It And they, again, the Skynet is right. <laughs> A stronger emphasis on character development. Woody could have taken that Alan Alda, Jane Fonda story and made it a whole movie. Exactly. Yeah. And also the Michael Caine and Maggie, Maggie Smith. When I saw the, the actress who feels slighted by the Academy and with the gay husband, I thought, again, this is a movie Woody Allen could have had on its own. When I asked you for feedback on just what you have from the AI, I wasn't actually going to leave that in the podcast. I was asking you specifically just for feedback because I do think, you know, with these AIs, you can train them. I asked it to give feedback on what Woody Allen may improve in the movie. And, it- and again... I could, you have to be very, I don't know, this is, this podcast is turning into a little bit of an experiment working with AI and a lot of podcasts are doing it, not just this well, one. If there's, if there's a movie, if there's a movie that we could use as an experiment, it's this one. Cause we don't have a lot to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Thank you, James. So actually giving us a reason. Yes. Awesome. Um, if you, and again, the, I know the list is only, um, open to patrons and right now we only have like two, so I can't even say to the audience right now, look at the list and and see how they've done. I vetted every single movie it chose and I think they're decent and the reasons are decent as well. And some of the movies were going to be pleasantly surprised. Some of them were going to think they could got it completely wrong. Some of them were going to be in the middle. If I had to kind of rate this movie on those three tiers, this is a middling movie. Yeah. I think I definitely understand what it was going for and I can agree this would be, you know, this is a Jason like. Not sure I would have picked it because to me, half the movie is just no. And then, yeah. again, it might be execution. If Richard Pryor and the other characters were cast differently and it was executed differently, maybe I wouldn't even complain. But I just, that, you know, and uh, as you so rightly put, the whole motif of having this done in this elegant hotel, which you don't see them intertwine scenes, pointless unless you bring them together to, sh- to show they're all there. So how do we know they weren't, they were all together? We well, don't know. I, the thing too is I, I'm going to compare this to a movie that's not a great movie, but it does this concept better, which is a movie called Four Rooms. Four short stories, all set in the same hotel. One was directed by Quentin Tarantino. One was directed by Robert Rodriguez. I can't remember who directed the other two. But what connects everything is not only that it is clearly the same hotel, but Tim Roth, plays the bellboy who you know he's not the main character in any one story but he's there Mm, so mm. you're following him as he goes to these different 
into these different rooms where different things are happening. They're all very different. They're all like, what is sort of a story about witchcraft and what is about, um, you know, a movie star making this crazy bet, but they're connected by Tim Roth going back and forth to these hotels. This didn't have that. Like I said, I'm not even sure it was the same hotel. So yeah, I, I think it can be done better. Like the stories weren't, they ranged from okay, which is what I would call the Alan Alda one, poorly executed, which is what I'd call the Richard Pryor one. Yeah. Would you like to see a remake of this movie? Because I do think, even if it's not Woody Allen, to be fair, Woody Allen would remake this movie would be a lot better. A lot better. But again, I don't even, I don't think he even needs this much meat to make yeah. a great movie. You know, just the pieces of this movie, even the parts I don't like, even if it's two doctors fighting, it's a comedy. Woody Allen just made a comedy about two doctors are, you know, in-laws that come to this hotel and one's got a shitty room. Could have been a great comedy. Could have been a great comedy with the animals right as well. So, prostitute one, that could it's a bit played out. It's probably the most played out out of all of them, to be honest with you. But I think he could have made that work as well. So, yeah, man, I, you know what? You've actually given me inspiration. I think I'm going to call these episodes experiments. <laughs> because these choices are kind of experiments. I do like, I'm actually already enjoying us disseminating why this was chosen, what the movie has to offer, and our thoughts on it. But I am going to enjoy the winners, the losers, and the middling movies. And, you know, for this experiment, we're going to call this a middling one. And I'm going to just throw it off to you, listener. What do you think? I apologize for the length of that explanation, by the way. I, I'm going to probably make it only do a one minute and a, a half max explanation last time. Three minutes is probably too long. And I feel like then the more movies we do, it might follow a similar template i want to make it a little bit more authentic and realistic more human like so give me a chance to play with that but james thank you for bearing with me on that and hopefully the movie wasn't a complete waste of your time no i mean there there are movies that we've watched which the best example is always i love you daddy where i walk away going fuck that movie yeah and then there's other movies where i walked away going and i, I forget we ever watched it this is one where if a year from now you recap what we watched a year earlier, I won't remember that we watched it. Uh, yep, 100% agree. But I tell you one thing I will never forget is Bill Cosby having his neck on the Richard Pryor's hands. I have no fucking idea why that isn't a meme. Everything else about this movie, hate to be harsh, is kind of derivative. Anyway, you've seen it other places, but you will never see these two comedians have a fight. And I would have, I would have hoped Richard Pryor would have beat his ass. <laughs> Not only for the things Cosby's been found guilty of in the future and in the past, but it would have been a great visual. When I it, honestly, people, and I'm going on the one about Richard Pryor now. People look at Richard Pryor later years and be like, oh, Superman three, and oh, he did those silly movies, and this did really hurt me. Even oh man, he got he got strangled by Bill Cosby. Oh, what the actual fuck, Richard? Come on, come on, you can take him. He didn't have the greatest luck with movies. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. I know. On that note, have you got anything else to say, James, before we wrap it up? Uh, not really. This this might be the most ultimate meh movie that we've watched. So, yeah. For a movie that has four different stories going on, I don't have a lot to say about any of them. 
And how ironic is that the last movie which was an ensemble cast and that was fucking great with Maybe I Do. Yep. Anyway, guys, that is it. James, have you committed to what we're going to be talking about next time or do you want to leave that as a surprise the end of the new year? Well, let's surprise everybody. Okay, let's surprise everyone. But I will say there's one thing that's not a surprise. Next month, to start a new year off, the first thing you're going to hear on this podcast feed is James's top 10 with the Adam films. Yes, we're going to release that in the first week of January 2024. You heard me and Simon talk about it for years, and I already, you know, I'm editing James's version, and I really, really enjoy it. So look forward to that, and then you'll hear us with our next discussion near the end of the month, end of January. But, um, yeah, James, how can the people find you if they want to reach and got in contact with you, good sir? Uh, you can always find me at manic-expression.com, also on the Manic Expression YouTube channel, and my videos uh, are available there. We've got a new podcast, myself and Carly, called Age Before Beauty, and my books are available on Amazon. Yep, that <laughs> I checked out your new podcast. Sorry, I didn't even tell you off mic, and I, I was... I was really amused. It was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to leave a comment because I'm like, nah, I don't want them to know that I'm watching right now. But just the um, the screenshot you guys had where you looked like you was dying and she looked like she was like... <laughs> <laughs> well done on that. The thumbnail was good. The thumbnail was good. Thank you. And I'll put a link to that podcast as well, A Before Beauty. Check it out, guys. If you don't mind hearing James and... Please check it out. I'll put that in the link down below as well. But all of our links are going to be in the link tree link, the Patreon, the coffee, James's books, Manic Expression. Check it out. But more than anything, I really want to wish you guys the merriest of Christmases, Festivuses, whatever Christmases you're doing, wherever you're celebrating, wherever you are. Hope you're safe. Hope you have a good time with your family, your significant other, your siblings, whoever, you know. Guys, it's been a, it's been an interesting year. It's been a good year for Jason. I really liked it, but I guess I should end on one thing, James. One thing, we didn't get the chance. We didn't get the next Woody Allen film this year, which I'm shocked nope. about. I'm shocked. Uh, I don't know if it's still looking for distribution or what what the case is, but yeah, I thought we would have gotten it by the end of the year. But I'm guessing maybe by spring. I would hope. Well, the only update I saw, which was on the Woody Allen subreddit, is that they've, they're actually releasing it in an Australian theatre right now. So, you know, I don't know what that really means, but apparently there's some secret American distributor that's getting the licence. But, yeah, my next bet, I, I had the prediction that it would be, we would get it for the winter holidays. But now I'm going to have to throw my hat in with you, James, and say... um. It's probably going to be spring-summer 2024, which is a shame because ever since he had these distribution wars with Amazon and the trial and all this madness, he couldn't stick to the one-year thing. That broke a couple of years yeah. ago. And now it looks like we get a Woody Allen film every three years. Considering his age, it was about to kind of slow down anyway. But this is against his will. This isn't what he wanted. He didn't want it to be this way. So... No. And this is really a shame it's getting such pushback and delays and it's, it's a lot of bullshit, but... I mean, I I don't... Because it played at... Uh, did it play at Cannes or where did it play? I think it was Cannes. I'm, I think yeah. it was Cannes. I think I remember it's hearing that it, it's the best Woody Allen movie in, in years. years. Yeah, we saw so this I'm excited to see it. Yeah, but it's business, right? These labels, these uh, studios still got cold feet and have their prejudices, biases and 
it will come out one day. We all know that. Happy to Rainy Day. Happy to Rifkin's Festival. This will see the light of day. And we hope it's a great movie. And when it comes out, guys, we will be, you know, we'll prioritise that over everything else we're doing. But I'll keep my finger on the pulse of the news. We'll give you more updates as they come along. But we was nearly out the door. I just remembered that. So now I really am out the door. Wishing you guys the best rest of 2023. Holidays, New Year. Do it big. Be safe. We're going to love you and leave you. Thanks for listening. Peace out.